Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, and we spent a couple of weeks um, looking at, uh, as we saw there on the, on the day of Pentecost, uh, how the, the believers began to speak in tongues, and that was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We took the opportunity to, to take a couple of weeks and look at uh, some of the biblical teaching regarding tongues, and we saw how uh, 1 Corinthians 13 was looking forward to a time when those things were going to pass away. As Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, they were still in effect, but he tells them about how those things are going to pass away. And uh, we, you know, we've seen that. People are trying to, trying to you know, keep, keep those kinds of things going today. And as we looked at the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave for the practice of tongues... Uh, because because of the way that you know people are trying to sort of generate this phenomenon that isn't really what God is doing today, they they don't follow those instructions that are given there. See, those instructions work if if God is doing this miraculous work of tongues. But when God's not doing that, and you're going to try and you know try and uh, work up that kind of emotion and, and things to get that to to happen, uh, those those instructions don't wind up working. But today, now we return back here to Acts chapter 2, and let's begin in, in verse 5. Uh, verse 5 says, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Uh, now when this, about the, the speaking in tongues, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites? the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And, and you see there how, um, first of all, the, the focus on the day of Pentecost, and today we're, we're not just going to talk about the speaking in tongues, but, but what was going on in a more general sense there on the day of Pentecost. First of all, you see the focus is the Jews, right? There were, verse 5 says, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews. And the reason that there are all of these people there at Jerusalem is because it's a feast day. It's a Jewish feast day, the feast day of Pentecost. This was one of the days where all, of, all Jewish men were supposed to come to Jerusalem to worship. And so as it mentions all of these other countries, these, these are Jews from these other countries that are coming there to Jerusalem to worship. 
And again, just like today, uh, you know, there's, there's Jews all over the world. You have, you have, you know, many Jewish people here in the United States who don't, don't speak any Hebrew. Um, here you have, you have people that, you know, wouldn't have spoken Greek either, but they were from these other countries and spoke all these different languages, right? And so God does this supernatural work to equip these disciples to be able to speak in a language that all of these Jewish people, no matter, no matter what language they speak, can, can hear what they're going to say. Uh, now remember, we saw last time how it said, the scripture said that tongues were for a sign to them that believe not. Right? These are unbelieving Jewish people. These are people who haven't even really heard about Jesus. Maybe they have. Maybe they've encountered him on some previous trip there to Jerusalem. But uh, they certainly, they certainly you know, haven't heard of his crucifixion and, and that kind of thing. And uh, the Lord equips these believers here to speak in these other tongues so that these unbelieving Jews from all over the world can hear what they're going to say. And you see, it, it says that these Jews were devout men. Now, they're devout in the Jewish religion. They're devout, demonstrated by the fact that they would travel from all these places all the way there to Jerusalem for this feast day. And you see, it says they were out of every nation under heaven. And, and the multitude comes together. And they, they hear them speaking in their own languages. Now, that's not to say that, for instance, that Peter would stand up and speak and that, you know, somebody over here heard him in one language and somebody over there heard him in another language. But you've got all of these disciples going out and these, these men that are there who speak these different languages, they hear, oh, hey, he's speaking my language. And somebody else over there, he's speaking my language. You see, and, and all of those languages wind up being represented there so that everybody there can hear what these disciples are saying. Um, by the way, w one of the ways you know, again, some people view it as if, you know, one man would speak and everybody heard it in different languages. But realize that uh, if you come down to, to um, verse 12... You see, it says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now, the ones that are mocking them, saying they're full of new wine, um, you know, I've, I've talked to drunk people before, and they don't start speaking in languages they don't know. They do start speaking in gibberish, right? But here, the reason these ones are able to mock is because, okay, maybe there's one guy over there speaking his language, but the rest of them are, are you know, saying all these things he doesn't understand, and they just think they're drunk, okay? So not everybody there understands every one of the disciples, okay? But uh, they're speaking in, in these languages, and, and you see they're, they're, they marveled in verse 7. It says they were amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Now, when they refer to them as Galileans, that is not a compliment. All right? These were, you know, they were able to recognize these men, that these were not, these were not you know, educated men. These were not uh, the scribes and, and those kinds of people who might have had opportunity to study various languages. Um, these, you know, these were not 
these were not uh, the, the intellectuals of their day, right? They recognized them as being Galileans. They recognized them probably as being fishermen. They, you know, they, they recognized that this is not something natural that's going on. Uh, it, these, these men are speaking these languages not out of personal study, not that they've you know, gone out and, and learned these languages, but this is something supernatural. That's why they're marveling at it. Um, and, and, you know, these people, even though they're from all these other countries, they do come there to, to Jerusalem at various times in the year, and they would be familiar with Israel, and Galilee was not a place that was known uh, for, again, for, for, you know, a lot of uh, intellectual sophistication, okay? And, and so they recognizing them to be Galileans, uh, they're marveling at the fact that they can hear their own tongues, their own languages being, sp- being spoken. And by the way, in the Bible, that's what tongues are. Tongues are not a, a heavenly prayer language. They're not a, an angelic language. Tongues are just languages that people speak. That's what they are here. See, they're given this supernatural ability to speak in these languages so that these people from all these different countries can understand what they're going to say. When they, when they mention all of the countries there, uh, again, uh, you see that verse 10 emphasizes the fact that these are Jews and proselytes. Now, there, there may be some people there that were, that were you know, born Gentiles, but they became proselytes. They converted to the Jewish religion. If there's any Gentiles there, that would be the kind of Gentiles there were. Uh, Gentiles who had become proselytes to the Jewish religion, who had been circumcised, and had essentially become Jews, even though they were not born Jewish. All right? that's, those are the people that are there. Now that's important, because a lot of people... Uh, you know, place many people will treat this day of Pentecost as if it is the birthday of the church, the body of Christ. And yet the church, the body of Christ is defined as being Jew and Gentile in one body without distinction. And you certainly don't see that here on the day of Pentecost. Here on the day of Pentecost, the, the focus is on Jews. It's Jews. It's on a Jewish feast day. It's in the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, as we're going to see. And it's not, you don't see the distinction between Jew and Gentile taken out of the way here on the day of Pentecost, forming the body of Christ. You see that distinction very much in place, and the emphasis here is on the Jews. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ had told these disciples just before his ascension that while they eventually were going to get out to all nations, they were to begin at Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria, which the Samaritans were half Jewish, and then out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so here they are at Jerusalem, and here they are ministering exclusively to Jews. In fact, that's one of the things for you to watch for as we, as we study through the book of Acts, is how often, even when you get later into the book of Acts, these believers, these Jewish believers from Jerusalem, even later when they would go out and leave Jerusalem and be out among the Gentiles, they would speak to none but the Jews only. Okay? Now, of course, when you get to the Apostle Paul, there's a change in that, and Paul is sent specifically to the Gentiles. But we haven't gotten there yet. 
All right? Here the focus is still on the nation of Israel. The focus is still on the Jews. And that's an important transition to pay attention to within the, the book of Acts. Uh, again, many churches today, in viewing the day of Pentecost as being the birthday of the church, are trying to recreate the events of Pentecost. Uh, They're trying to make the same kinds of things happen today that were taking place there on the day of Pentecost. But the day of Pentecost, as we're going to see from Peter's own words, the day of Pentecost was, was not so much a beginning of something as it was an end of something. It was showing that the end of something was coming. All right? And, and it is not, what happened on the day of Pentecost is not what we ought to expect to happen in the, the church, the body of Christ today. Uh, you see that the, the men there who are in the audience, uh, it says they're in doubt. They're wondering, what does this mean? Uh, some of them think that they're just, they're just drunk, all these you know, people making all these sounds that they can't understand. But verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them. Now, Peter uh, is very much a leader among these disciples. Remember, it was to Peter that the Lord said individually, he said he'd given to, to him, to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He gave Peter a very special position of authority here among the disciples. So it's fitting that Peter would be the one to stand up here and and explain. And and so Peter stands up with the eleven, and he says to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. Now, when he says ye that dwell at Jerusalem, just like uh, previously when it said there were dwelling at Jerusalem, it doesn't mean they live there permanently. These are these people that are staying at Jerusalem. They're there for the feast day. So he says ye men of Judea, that would be the people who live there all the time. And uh, he says all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, all of you that are here for the feast day, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Verse 15, he says, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Now, uh, by the way, another, another false teaching that's out there today, uh, there's some people who believe in this phenomenon that they call being drunk with the Spirit, right? And they believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit can manifest itself in, in acting like you're drunk. Um, you notice here, Peter says, these men are not drunk. Uh, they're, not, they're not, you know, just overcome and taken leave of their senses. Uh, rather, these men are sober-minded, right? These men are not drunk, as you suppose. Uh, sometimes people who believe in that, being drunk with the Spirit, they'll, they'll point over to, in Ephesians, where it says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And, and sometimes they'll even read it as being drunk with the Spirit, as if it's saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit instead. But the verse is saying, don't be, it's saying, don't be drunk, right? Don't be um, where you don't have control of your faculties. Don't be where, where you can't you know, think reasonably. But being filled with the Spirit is described in the Bible as being sober-minded. It's not talking about being drunk with the Spirit. It's talking about being filled with the Spirit, which produces the opposite result of being drunk, 
when you're drunk, you can't, you can't see things clearly. Uh, you, can't, you can't act correctly. You can't, you know. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you do all those things. It's, it's the opposite of being drunk. But again, there's these people who, who, and this would go along with the speaking in tongues and all these things because they're looking for these, these types of manifestations. Uh, they believe in this being drunk with the Spirit. In fact, there, there used to be one preacher, I don't know if he's still around, but he called himself the Holy Ghost bartender because he had the anointing, see, and he could lay hands on you and that Holy Spirit would come upon you and it'd, it'd be like you're drunk. So he was the Holy Ghost bartender. Okay, um, you, see, you know, there's all kinds of foolishness out there uh, that's taught in the name of, of Christianity, in the name of Christ. Peter says these are not drunken. They're not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, Peter doesn't say this is some new thing that nobody ever knew about. Peter doesn't say this is a mystery that was kept secret since the world began. Peter essentially says you should know what's going on here because the prophet Joel already told you about it hundreds of years ago. Right? This is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is not the initiation of mystery. Okay? It's not, as you find later in Paul's epistles, where he said, talks about things kept secret since the world began. This is something that had been proclaimed by the prophets. It hadn't happened yet up until this time when Peter's speaking, but it was the fulfillment of what Joel had said. He quotes a little bit from the prophet Joel. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter says what begins to happen there on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke about. And you see what it, what it says in the first part of what, of what Peter quotes there, it shall come to pass in the last days. The, the fact that these things begin to happen on the day of Pentecost show that the last days were beginning. Not that, that some new age of grace was beginning, but that the last days were beginning. Uh, sometimes people ask whether we're in the last days today. And yes, we are. But notice Peter said he was in the last days. So, so the last days, now Peter never expected that the last days would last as long as they have. Um, you know, we'll get to why that was. But Peter says they're in the last days. He says these things are happening to show you that it's the last days, right? And, and so what's happening on the day of Pentecost is signaling the end of something, not the beginning of something. Now it's a beginning in the sense that God had not worked through his Holy Spirit in this way previously, right? It's something new in that sense, but, but it's not something, again, it's not something unprophesied, and it's, 
it's really, it's something new in the progression of time, but it's something that's signaling something coming to, to a close. In fact, let's go back and look at Joel chapter 2 and see the whole context from which the Apostle Peter is there quoting. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel is referred to as one of the minor prophets, not because what he, you know, not because the revelation he was given was not important but because you have these, these several uh, very short prophetic books in the end of the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, they all appear as one book called the Twelve. All right? But uh, we put them as separate books. And, and Peter's quoting from Joel chapter 2. Now, you know, I would, I would encourage you in your own study, take and read the whole, the whole book of Joel. It's only, what, three chapters, I think, altogether. Um, you know, you can read it in, in a fairly short time. But uh, Peter's quoting specifically from Joel chapter 2. And let's just start in verse 1 of Joel 2, and eventually we'll get down to the, the verses that Peter quotes. You see, Joel 2 verse 1 says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. All right, so the events of Joel 2 are something that are going to come prophetically in close proximity to the day of the Lord. In fact, the, the verses that Peter quoted mentioned the day of the Lord uh, several times. And so you see it describes here uh, this trumpet, this instruction to go out and blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, because the day of the Lord is about to come. Verse 2, it says, A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness." They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city, they shall run upon the wall, they shall climb up upon the houses, they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now, here it describes this, this great army. Now, this army is something that's described in various passages of Bible prophecy. It certainly is described in, in the book of Revelation. Here later in, the, in, the, uh, in this chapter of Joel, he's going to refer to it as the northern army. All right? And so, so you see it's describing, Joel 2 is describing things that are going to come leading up to the day of the Lord. It describes this army that's going to come upon Israel and, uh, and, and those, that description that it gives of the army. 
uh, those things are, are cues to you to be able to link various prophetic passages together. For instance, when it describes the appearance of them as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Uh, again, over in Revelation, it describes an army whose appearance is as horses. Okay? And so you can link these passages together to, to learn more about this army that it's describing here. Now, this is something that has not taken place in history, right? This is something that's even yet future to where we are today. But, but you see the, the, the description of it there. Uh, verse 11 says, The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? You see uh, how you have this army that's going to come against them, but then you have the Lord's army as well. And the Lord is going to, to bring his army against them. And again, you see that battle described in Revelation. You see it described in Isaiah. You see it described in Zechariah. These are very clear prophetic events, right? So we're getting the context here of, of these words that Peter quotes. Verse 12, uh, here's, the, here's the instruction in light of these things. By the way, if you, you, know, if you do go back and read the whole book of Joel on your own, chapter 1 describes the, the, just the corrupt state of Israel. Then it describes these things that are going to happen. And so Joel chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments. You know, something when in Israel especially, in many of these, many of these uh, uh, Middle Eastern cultures, if you wanted to demonstrate that you were mourning, you would rip your clothing, and that would, that would show that you were in great, you know, great uh, distress and, and that you were in mourning. But you see, that would be a very showy thing, and sometimes you might do that just to, so everybody knows how much you're mourning when really you're not mourning. The Lord says, quit rending your garments and rend your heart. That, that's where you need to be rent. That's what you need to tear. It's not your garments in some show of repentance toward the Lord, but you need to have real repentance from the heart. Rend your heart. He says, rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Now, what it says there in light of, of these events that are going to come on Israel, there's that call to Israel to repent to avoid these things. And, and the idea is if they repent, they could even, even avoid these things. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18. He sends Jeremiah down to where a potter is working at this potter's house. And he watches as that potter is working on this vessel and something happens and the vessel doesn't turn out right. And so the potter takes that lump of clay and he starts over and, and forms it again. Right? And verse 6 then, it says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. 
At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Verse 9 says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. You see? So if God says something evil concerning a nation, if God says He's going to destroy a nation, and they turn from their evil ways and they repent, then He won't destroy them. Remember what happened with Nineveh? Jonah comes there, he preaches to them, and they repent from the king down to the lowliest peasant. Jonah, When Jonah preached to them, Jonah didn't even tell them to repent. Jonah just told them, the Lord's going to destroy you. They repented, and the Lord didn't destroy them. You see, these things that we're reading over there in Joel are about this, this evil that the Lord is going to bring on the nation of Israel, but there's the opportunity for them to repent. And so Joel says, who knows whether instead of that cursing, God will bless you instead if you repent. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.